Hi and welcome everyone to this season's third episode of StoryKit Talks Live. Um, my name is Jonna Ekman and I am the marketing director at StoryKit, uh, the amazing video company. And today we're going to talk about how successful marketers combine control and creativity. We've been talking about this a lot lately uh, and it's such an interesting subject because the more you talk about it, the more you see how important these things are. Um, with me today, I have the founder and CEO of StoryKit, Peder Bonnier, and he's the one who's going to do the talking and I'm going to do the asking. But let's start with one small thing because I was at a pretty nice LinkedIn event the other week. And they talked a lot about Always On. And Always On is one of the main reasons why we really have to be so productive and do all the things we're going to talk about today. Uh, and they gave us a couple of numbers uh, that they have dug up themselves that was interesting. So I'm just going to read them out loud. So why should we be Always On? Because the B2B buyer is always doing research. So 69% do the research, they research business products during their workday. 73% more, uh, I mean 73 is more than 69, are researching during the evenings. And 51% spend time researching on weekends. I don't know what that says about us as a as, a, <laughs> as people, but I know that it says something about when a company has to be there to meet uh, their needs. Uh, so what's your opinion on the always-on strategy, Peter? Uh, no, but I think that sounds right. I mean, we are people and we are in the, these channels maybe a little bit too often for our own good. Um, <laughs> Um, and 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 I, I think you know LinkedIn will know this way better than I do. So because obviously they have billions and billions and billions of data points that we lack. Uh, but if you look to your own behavior, I mean, you go to LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or wherever you spend your precious time uh, online for a whole host of reasons. And most often, I don't think why. I don't think we even know why. Uh, what what the reason is that we go into Instagram? Um, it's a discovery mechanism. We've talked about this for, I mean, for ten years as a discovery mechanism for content. Mm -hmm. And the content can be your best friend's wedding or a great concert that you missed or that you were at, or um, a, a, a inspiration for what you do in your work or practical tips for what you do in your work. Um, and I think sometimes there's a very conscious exercise of I go to LinkedIn because I want to look at something, mostly uh, resumes. Uh, but but most of the time, I, I don't really know when I start why I go there. But I sure as, I can't swear on this podcast, but I, 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 certain, I most certainly uh, uh, spend quite a lot of time there. Um, and and mostly, you know, when it comes to me, not during the work work day. So that that sounds like it makes sense. Yeah, and the always on thing is one of the many reasons why it's so important for companies to 
take their content production, not just their video production, but their content production in-house. And I saw yesterday that the all-knowing uh, marketer in the US, Chris Walker, uh, made a whole case on LinkedIn on why it's so important to take your uh, your content production in-house. And we've been talking about this quite a while too. So what are your opinions on taking your, on why is it so important to be able to create content in-house instead of using agencies yeah. or other ways? Yeah, I, I, I think so. You know, I think the main reason is cost. Mm-hmm. So, and we, I think we talked about this on the podcast last time, but, but, but the idea again. here is that, that because of always on, so not communicating in discrete campaigns, which used to be the norm if we go back 10, 15, 20 years, uh, because you have to communicate every day and because frequency matters a lot, right? So always on doesn't mean one post per month. It means uh, more often, right? We can talk about actual uh, suggestions for frequency as well, but frequency matters. And it's this premise of being active continuously, if you will. Um, that's That's... And so, so uh, that's kind of one of the things that changed in the world, right? That we went from these discrete campaigns to always on. We also went from few outlets to many. So, you know, we used to strategize, we used to build marketing strategies around the TV, linear TV buy, or a large trade fair, or a three, four issues a year, thick custom publishing magazine or something like this. Um, and 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 now there's no one unit. You probably have to be on LinkedIn and Meta and uh, well, or Instagram, and Facebook, and maybe Twitter, and you have to have a YouTube strategy and some strategy. You know, it's just very much more fragmented because there's not one single point where you can reach more or less your entire buyer universe. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the the second part of this. And both of these things drive the demand within the organization for publishing volume, right? So more units, more output, right? And if you're in an agency ecosystem where, and by the way, I, I still think there's a huge uh, role for agencies in this in this equation as well. We can get back to that. But if you're in a, in an, in a production where you rely on an outsourced partner, i.e., an agency, to produce all of your units it will be it will drastically increase your cost from where you were in that previous universe 15 years ago and almost no organization has increased the share of their revenue that goes to marketing and sales more or less at all in the last 30 years so if we look at this it's kind of a stable proportion of marketing and sales cost uh, in as a proportion of revenue in organizations growth world. So that means if you have to do more, way more with the same amount of money or the same proportion of money, you have to find productivity, right? So that has to come out of doing more with the same resources. Uh, and one of the ways that you can do that is by shifting from having, and this will sound like an economist talking, which it also is, so yeah, it makes sense. Uh, you have to shift from producing off of your marginal cost base so off of every time i lift the phone and ask for something there's a cost ticker that starts to your average cost base meaning that you have this cost anyway right they're on salary they're in your in-house and uh, you can 
you can decrease the average cost per unit by increasing productivity of those resources dramatically. So you're moving from a kind of a, a marginal cost universe to an average cost universe, and then you can just start decreasing average cost per unit. And I think that's the main reason that people are insourcing, right? So a kind of fragmentation and always on, which is in itself is a consequence of media media consumption changing. Uh, so media consumption change leads to having to do things always on and, in, and more fragmented, leads to moving to much less cost per unit, meaning that you can't outsource any longer because you can't have those units of a bargain cost. You have to bring them out down on average cost. And so you bring them, you insource and you try to increase productivity in your insourcing. So insourcing alone will not change anything. Okay, so in-house by itself will not change anything. It's in-house combined with radically increased productivity that will change something, right? Uh, and why will an why will an in-house team be more productive than you know than than outsourced? Uh, and there are again a lot of reasons why that is if you structure it correctly. Uh, but but one is that they're much closer to the actual business, so much less time is wasted in briefing and proofing and all of these like process things that go on when the person ordering something is not the person producing. So um, wh whereas if, if the person who wants to do something is also the person who executes on that order, um, you get vast productivity gains. And so it's kind of one of the things that drive incredible productivity increases when you insource. Uh, but there are many other things that can drive productivity increases, and we can talk about that. Where we see, um, we see a lot of great cases on the market, and we see some cases that, um, you know, don't receive the results they would like to when they insource uh, because they fail to to realize the potential productivity benefits that you can get. This became like some industrial economies seminar suddenly. Sorry about that. Yeah, uh, I, I fell asleep. Huh? No, yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but it's, a, it's so interesting because we talk a lot about this. And um, one of the things we're talking more and more about is letting more people in the organization actually create content. We say video for everyone, which means that everyone in your organization should be able to do that. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that it's a machinery? Is, the, is that all of the above and, and some more? Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm glad I now had that long kind of productivity <laughs> round. So another way of increasing productivity is exactly doing what I said before. So getting the person who wants to communicate actually communicating right because you and, and you understand why that happens right you don't have to lift your phone call Heidi yeah. say I would like to talk about this and waste half an hour in that discussion and then um, Heidi will sit down produce will send the video back or the blog post or whatever it is back to you and you'll be ah but this isn't exactly what I ordered and you know you're laughing never because this has never happened never right? happened okay so all of that is waste, right? What should have happened is that the person ordering should have just sat down and written the blog post. Yeah. Okay. And and and, and 
probably when you insource, it's the most productivity increasing measure you'll have is to not have that process go on. And that means that the people who usually ordered communication, take the example of a talent acquisition manager. I have a new role that we want to promote on LinkedIn with a video, right? Um, or not with a video, I don't care, with a slideshow, right? I mean, this doesn't have, this isn't particular for video. Video becomes very specific because it's a harder skill. Yeah. Most, most talent acquisition managers feel like they can write a decent, um, uh, what's the word in English? Role description, right? Yeah. Okay. M most talent acquisition managers that I know don't feel like they can produce a video off of that role description, right? So video becomes more specific, but it goes for text as well. Um, so uh, the, the person who would have sat down and ordered a promotional material for that is now a person who should be able to produce the promotional material for that. And, and you know, at a glance, it might seem productivity decreasing because suddenly you've added the task of work to that individual that that, that individual previously could have just called someone and asked someone to do. But it's the same with a lot of functions in the industry, in businesses that have been rationalized away in the last 30 years because of productivity increases, right? Email, calendars, you know, all of these things that previously were someone's job is now not someone's job. Like everyone can do it. Yeah. Uh, and communication is becoming the same. And the basic driving force behind that is this need for productivity increase. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I, I don't know if that answered the question. But. Yeah, and I'm guessing that's one of the reasons it's so hard for many because they're not used to produce. Yeah. Um, but but it's, hard, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's sometimes hard for the individual that needs to become communicating. I think when we, when I look at most of the companies and organizations that we work with, that's usually not the hardest hurdle. The hardest hurdle is the organizational stigma around letting those people produce. Yeah. So, so yes, it can be hard to tell a talent acquisition manager that now it's actually also part of your job to post this to LinkedIn or even promote it with some budget or make a video off of it. That can be a challenge. My experience is that it's often not the big challenge. The big challenge is convincing someone, some other person in the organization that this individual should have the authority to do that in the company's yeah. name, right? It's convincing you that anyone at StoryKit should be able to communicate in StoryKit's name, right? That's way harder than asking one of our fantastic like SDRs to produce three vid videos a week, right? The, the, the latter is fun, exciting, liberating, you know, yes, more work, right? So it's another task, but something that most, my experience is most people enjoy. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. Yeah, we actually, one of our salespeople had a talk with a prospect the other week that said that uh, giving, giving my employees the power to create video feels terrifying. Yeah. And that sums it pretty much up. But what, 
when it comes to in-house production, what or or content production, what role does video play? Because we're talking so much about video being the thing, but which role do you think that video should should play in all of this? Well, yeah, well, you know, this is a, it's like bursting through open doors here, but I mean, I think we all obviously think that video is a core central format um, in, in any communication strategy for the modern distributed world. Um, and that has, you know, that the, that's because of a, a bunch of things. I think the most obvious thing, the most the easiest thing to grasp is that video and especially text-based silent video is the native format in these channels. So you think, think about it. You have a communicative need, I'm calling it, right? So give me a communicative need. To, to, Not like an actual uh, one that you have this week. I mean, you, you, you guys communicate all the time. So yeah, one... a, product re- a product release. Okay, so we're releasing a new feature, right? And now you want to you produce um, a unit of communication off of that feature. What choices do you have? Right? What alternatives are out there for you? Well, all the alternatives. Um, yeah, but give me some. Email. Okay, blog you can post. email it out. You can write about it in a blog post. Yeah. Social, of course. Ads. Now, what? 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 what so, social? What? What? What do you do? On well, that, um, so we, we, you could do images. You can do video. You can do text posts. You can do uh, exactly. But let's let's now pretend that, the, or not pretend. I mean, you, it's an actual need here, right? Yeah. It's a product release. You're releasing yeah. a new feature. Right? Yeah, we're assuming it's not possible to release this feature with like three sentences. Right? No. I, I mean, it might need some explaining. We're a business-to-business software company, after all. It's not like we're releasing a new link to. Yeah. Right. Okay. Good. Um, so it needs some explaining. So traditionally, we write about it. Yeah. But if we write about it, there's no real native way of doing that in social. In uh, Facebook tried a bunch of years ago, we were very active in that experiment, or you, if you remember, something called instant articles, where mm-hmm. they had the format that was kind of a little bit longer form text, but should be consumed on the platform. We all know what happened to that. Um, and, and, and so it's really hard if you want people to consume what you're saying on the platform you don't want them to leave because it requires this click right so we want to avoid the click here we want people to consume this message in the platform where they are for as we said in the beginning of this conversation some unknown reason but maybe just because they're waiting for the bus right or you know just putting their kids to bed or all of the other times that you know you're spending on social media right so you don't want to leave the platform you want to say something that's not easily said in an image, because if it is, you know, it should be an image or a, a little quick post, right? Because if it is, it should be a little quick post. But most things that we communicate aren't. Right? They're more complex than that. And the only really native format, the only really native way to do that 
in these platforms is video yeah. and text-driven silent video so not traditional 30-second tvcs um and 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 that's also the reason why the format becomes so popular right it's because it's so native to the format it's what people want to consume um and that's i think the strength of video and why video has to be central in any distributed communication strategy um then you know then you have all the augmentation converts mm. better deals more reach gets more engagement like all of these things yeah. but but the basis why why a communicator that's not doing vast amounts of silent text driven video on social should do vast amounts of silent text driven video on social is because it's really the only option if yeah. you want to produce something that's native to the platform and reaches a lot of people true that here here um and we have i mean we've been working with customers who um who do this for a bunch of years and we've also struggled with it ourselves through the years. So what would you say are the biggest challenges? We've, we've touched upon it, but once again, the biggest challenges when companies take their video production in-house, what do you see? Yeah, I think there are two, right? Mm -hmm. So one is realizing those productivity benefits that were the, the, the core reason if you will, for taking production in-house. So making sure that you can realize those productivity benefits. And there are a lot of things there that we tend to talk a lot about, like formatting and all of those things. Let, let's push that question to later in the talk, if we have time, as we have, and we, we talked about it last time. The, so that's one challenge. The other challenge is, is getting um, the organization comfortable with this kind of distributed responsibility, if you would. Mm. Um, so, so you said something earlier, and then you didn't pick up on it, but someone had said that like gi giving your employees the power of communication is terrifying or something. Uh, the power of creating video creating video okay is is terrifying so mm -hmm. I, I i think that could creating video here is extra terrifying right? mm -hmm. i think i think communicating general like getting access to the company linkedin account uh in itself is is also terrible right or terrifying right why well, even just socials are doing like talking for the company on their own linkedin doesn't yeah. have to be on the yeah, LinkedIn. but why why them. why why is terrifying because because the company will lack control. Yeah, and so, so and what kind of control? So when you when you do this in with our with us, right? What, mm -hmm. Why are you scared? Like, what makes you scared? What can happen? Well, me and Frederick touched upon it the last time we spoke, and uh, and one of one of the main things. I mean, marketers always often think, well, the brand will it look good. But okay. it's even more terrifying, like if you get the wrong message out, uh, saying the wrong things with the company flag would be the worst. 
Um, the, the, uh, and, and sorry, it, it's a, I'm going to stick with this point a little bit because I think it's yep. the core of what you're after, right? So, yeah. So, what is the wrong things? What would be well, the wrong things? Well, that could be that could be a bunch of things. I mean, I really believe that employees should be able should be allowed and enabled enabled to talk about a lot of things that hasn't anything to do with the, with a company. I mean, if someone is really into uh, um, bicycling, uh, mountain biking, they should be able to do a whole LinkedIn account profile about it. I. I'd love it. And with our tool, even do that kind of video to it. But what, but when people, even myself, sometimes stumble and fall, um, start talking about company related things and taking out that messaging, it's so easy to um, say the completely wrong things. I mean, there are the simple ones like, I happen to do a video where I say who I will vote for in the next okay. election and okay. I put the company name on it. That's okay. the problem. Okay, so fair enough. So I think that we are way, way, way too scared generally mm-hmm. of people doing the, sorry, of people doing bad things, right? Mm-hmm. Things that just don't have quality. Right? I'm not afraid of that and, at all. And and the reason is, the reason why we're afraid of this is because previously, all of us who have worked in marketing for a long time, previously, it was really, really important whenever you publish something that it was good, meaning that it would have effect. And why was that really, really important? Because you paid a lot for the distribution. Right? You had yeah. bought the TVC, you'd bought airtime on radio or on TV or like printer time, you were printing custom magazines or there was a stall yeah. in a fair and this was really expensive. So once you got there, it was like, you better make sure that it's perfect, right? Yeah. Because otherwise the money is wasted. But what's happened in social is that distribution and quality are intrinsically linked, right? So if you publish something that's bad, no one will see it. Yeah. If you publish something that's great, it'll get a ton of distribution and it's really hard to know beforehand. So the only way to solve the problem is to just keep iterating and publishing and doing, and then eventually something blows up and you're like, why did it blow up? And you try to analyze that and you do it more and you do it over again and so forth, so on and so forth. So bad doesn't really matter anymore, right? It doesn't, it's, no, it's not part of the equation, so to speak. It's much more important to do than to do to perfection, if you will. So then you have two That's other not in, I just I w- I will I will interrupt you because it's not entirely true as we know all on LinkedIn or, or or on social media that something can blow up that is not Okay so I I'm, I'm getting there that I'm is going, provocative I'm oh, getting oh, there. I'm getting there. There. Okay. Oh, of course you are So then there are two things that I think are actually really detrimental Yeah one is ugly right so it looks terrible and whenever you speak from your brand, you want it to look like your brand, right? I mean, you want to, you want to you want to be pretty certain that whoever produces something, it looks pretty awesome, right? Yeah. Because some somewhere you're responsible for it, right? So you know, I'll come to you and I say, why are we publishing all of these like ridiculously ugly videos? You know that we don't want to do that, right? So you have to have a me- measurement to control the way that things look 
independent on who publishes it. On the web, this is easy because we do it with CSS, right? So you let yeah. someone into a CMS and they write in this like square box and they write their text and somehow magically they press publish, it comes out, it looks awesome, right? Yeah. Text may still be terrible, it looks awesome, right? So that's why we are okay with letting a lot of people into CMSs generally because it might not be the best article, but we know no one will read it. It'll still look great, right? With video, much harder. This is one of the problems that we saw, right? The other thing that you're talking about, I call stupid, right? So like <laughs> and, and, and proclaiming your political allegiance under your company brand in a like majorly provocative way that will make it blow up. That's just like, yeah, not good, right? It's, it's, it's stupid. So there has to be some, some form of rules of engagement, but a fairly lightweight piece of rules of engagement for what you're allowed to do within the realms of your brand. So, yeah. it, because if you can control out stupid, uh, not smart, and you feel okay with that, and you can make sure that your brand will come out okay, I think we should be fairly non-worried about the quality, if you will, of the storytelling that comes out in between, because we cannot know. The only thing that we know is that someone in the organization will produce something at some point that will blow up and be awesome and produce a huge disproportionate amount of our leads, will build a disproportionate amount of our brand and so on and so forth. So that's kind of where I where I kind of see the scope for this. Um, let, let me ask you another question. Do we do. ever put do we ever put budgets, social budgets behind our employees' posts? Have we done that? No, I, I it's I don't think it's possible. Uh huh. Because I I think generally it's an interesting idea, right? So mm -hmm. if you have this breadth of communication, and we obviously, I mean. The employees obviously publish more things every week than I can even kind of have time to consume. It's like this interesting proposition where the company actually starts promoting this kind of work. Uh, whatever. Okay, that was a side note. No, so we're, so we're to your line of questioning in here. No, so we're resharing a bit, uh, which yeah. is which is fun and and uh, picking their stuff up, and that's amazing to be able to do. Um, I always say that everyone in this company is a marketer and it's so obvious that it, that they truly are. Um, okay, so the takeaway here is don't do ugly and stupid. Um, yeah, but... or, or the takeaway here is as an organization to dare, to not feel like it's terrifying, right? Mm. Because obviously I, 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 I relate to this very, very strongly, right? Mm. To not feel like, like it's terrifying you need to, at the central level in an enterprise, ensure that you can allow your organization, however you define that broadly, to create freely, because that's how you'll get the productivity benefits, while feeling fairly comfortable around the fact that it will come out and look good and it won't be stupid, right? So it's not really don't be stupid and do things that look good to the poor talent acquisition person who is just wanting to promote their job ad, right? Yeah. It's 
go for it to that individual and it's it's have these safeguards in place to the organization and taking control uh isn't control death for creativity N- not this type of control this type of control is is great for creativity um because because it 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 allows people in the organization to feel comfortable producing which is all we're after right yeah so um you know this that's like saying wouldn't it be better that our cms did or our css did no styling of a blog page right but that every user could go in and like style their own blog post right aren't we killing creativity through css here right like it, isn't that really harmful to the terrible that i take the talent acquisition person here as an example <laughs> but now i'm stuck on this right so yeah. in your application tracking system you know when you fill out like qualifications role description all of that sort of stuff in boxes we should really just make them style it as well right i, I mean yeah. that would be so because we're killing their creativity right no one would ever say that that's such a weird thing to say so why would it be true in any other form it's not true when you kill someone's creativity is when you start templating their storytelling is when you say like up 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 only two qualifications right you cannot add a third because our template has two and like um there are no free text fields here so this is the amount of characters that you can use no more no less and and the line breaks go this way and you know when you start templating storytelling you kill creativity mm-hmm. but you don't kill creativity by saying be free create your great story tell the story the way you want it we will ensure that once it's done it's going to look right right mm-hmm. that's enabling it's not destructive yeah i agree um I haven't seen any questions from our participants. I do. I, I do. You do. Que- yeah, there's a bunch of questions I do. in, I saw, in the Q&A. I in Q&A. Let me let me ask them. Okay. So, Rick, thank you for the question. He's asking, what is the benefit of using video advertisement over for example, Google shopping campaigns or search campaigns? Yeah, I think they fill two completely different reasons. So, purposes. So, I I, I don't think it's an either or proposition and uh, it, it's it's kind of creating demand versus capturing demand or push versus pull right so mm-hmm. i think most of most social media works as a kind of ephemeral discovery mechanism right you're there you're not sure why you're there and you stumble across um, an interesting product or service or job or something that someone is promoting right and if it's promoted well it'll capture attention it will start getting you aware of it. the fact that it exists it will maybe create some consideration it will fairly seldom generate action right yeah but 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 where a search works in the total opposite way right so it's a total um demand capture mechanism it will create action right so now i've gone and thought about this job for um Three weeks. I uh, I'm not going to go back to LinkedIn and like try to search up the ad because that's just a non-starter. But I'll go to Google. I'll search for it, and that way I'll get into the ATS. 
Um, so in, in the classic world, this is like TV ads versus direct mail uh, mailings, right? So I think that's, so, so it's not either or, it's both. Um, yeah. I think that's the answer to that question. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then we have Santiago. Thank you for your question. Who is asking, uh, wouldn't uh, authenticity and retention be the reason for choosing video to stand out? Uh, so I think retention is a great way of measuring success with your video creation, right? So I think retention is probably the primary metric that we mm -hmm. should look at when we, when we have created video, but I don't necessarily think that video as a format and um, conveys more authenticity or generates a higher retention, if you will, than say an image, right? You can do, you can, you can capture a lot of emotion and authenticity by, you know, taking a selfie and writing something that resonates with people in two sentences. So while I think, you know, while we obviously think that video is a, is a, is a core format to your communication challenge. It's not necessarily because you know, it brings you kind of closer to your audience than an image or a really well put piece of text would. It, it's just that it allows for you to to communicate things that are very hard to communicate in the parameter of a of a of a fixed image or a slideshow or one of the other formats that exist in social. I also also think that. Uh that the idea of authenticity in video is clinging on to the perception that video should be film material like this, like two people talking, like someone actually showing their face, saying stuff, um, creating that kind of relationship. And that is also a good thing. That's a really good thing. And uh, if, if, it's, if it suits you, just do it because it's probably going to grow your LinkedIn account or anything. Yeah. We're also, but video is also so much else. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of what we're talking about here is not like talking headsable, right? You no. don't talking head uh, uh, a recruitment app. Right? No. So, no, you can't. So, <laughs> Maybe you yes. shouldn't. Not for productivity. But at, sc though. at scale, yeah, exactly. At scale, mm. I think a lot of these things become very hard. So, so that, that's, that's yeah. And, and the problem there is that most people don't like to sit in front of the camera. So, um, yeah. Um, and Rick has another question. Uh, thank you, Rick. So would you say that quantity trumps quality? Yes, 100%. So I think that uh, because you don't know what quality is. I, I, I think that's the general answer. Like, the way these production systems worked when distribution was really expensive. So the example that I usually use here is linear TV. Right? So I used to buy a ton of linear TV advertising. It was very, very expensive. And so when you went live with the campaign, you pushed the button, the button was red and big, and it said like week 33. Um, there was a lot of money at stake. And you couldn't revert mid through that campaign. Results didn't come that quickly. It was hard to measure. So you just had to trust your 
analysis that it would eventually work. Yeah. And that that meant that you had to perfect the ad. You had to focus group it. You had to um, uh, um, test it in small markets. You had to seeker shopper interview people. Like I mean, it was a it was a, a, a hugely laborious process, expensive process to bring out that one thirty second spot because distribution was so expensive. Now in this world, distribution is free. Even paid distribution is more or less free. Because on the margin, you can shift budgets hourly, right? So you can say, this thing doesn't work, we'll give it no more money. This thing seems to work, we'll give it more money. And and that means that there's no real need for knowing when you publish if something's going to work. Because you'll within hours, you'll know, right? So what what's needed is that you publish. And you publish often enough so something works, right? And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't make an effort to make it as good as you can, right? I mean, like, it would be very weird to say, I'm going to do bad things, right? You're going to do this as good as you can. But if it works or not, right, you will not know until you publish. And so the important thing is to keep publishing, right? So that's so, so in that sense, quantity, well, publishing volume is more important than trying to figure out ex ante beforehand if what you're doing is going to work. And that's kind of what I mean here by quality. Again, you want everything to look awesome, right? You don't want to publish things that look terrible uh, because that will reflect badly on your professionalism and the brand and like all of these auxiliary things, right? That creates perception around you. So you still want it to look awesome, but that's not quality in this perspective. Quality here is how good is your story? Is it working? Is it resonating with people? Yeah. That is so true. I have seen so many things that I have thought, oh, and then it just did great stuff. So you never know. That was the end of the. Thank you all for asking questions. Love that. Um, I have one final question for you, Peter, for today. And we've been touching upon this one too. But as we've said, in our company, we have more people publishing video, content, everything on their personal accounts than I think almost any uh, uh, other company. We have salespeople, SDRs, CSMs, recruiters, everyone are using this for social selling, for everything. How do you, as the founder and CEO, feel about this? What do you worry about? And what are the good things you've seen, the good side of this that you've seen. Even you are publishing at times on your LinkedIn account, a little video series. I know it's happened. Yeah, so we'll, we can get back to that. We're starting to run out of time, but series here is a very important word. And it goes to say, it's the same for employees. I, I usually ask the question, why does a, why can a two-person operation publish you know, I, I've I've had I've, I've worked with magazines where there are two people in the editorial room and they publish like twelve issues a year and every issue is eighty pages. Right? You go to a communication department in any company and you're like, why don't you just do this? Right? And people go because that's so much volume. Like it's so much stories, it's so much output. Like how would we mm-hmm. ever get that machine to work? And what's the answer? You want me to answer? The answer yeah. is. Okay, so so I'm the not answer reading is, your mind here. No, okay. So the answer is 
they've decided beforehand what the magazine is going to be about, right? So they know beforehand for all the issues, what each page is going to contain in terms of format, right? This is going to be the interview. This is going to be the side burner. I don't know any of these words, but you know, you, you, so, and then they, they can just fill these formats with content. That, that's like a fairly easy, productive thing to do. I think most of when I succeed with my production efforts, it's because I've formatted something very hard. Like I've decided beforehand, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it a hundred times, right? Hmm. That That's when things become really productive. So that was not what you asked. Uh, yeah. What am I worried about? Uh, I'm not worried. I think we have the two things in place that needs to be in place. One is um, rules, general rules of engagement, right? This is what we don't want you to do within the kind of realms of our company and brand. Uh, and, and it's very lightweight, but it's yeah. there. And I expect you guys to roll it out and people to follow it. And the other is some sort of brand control. It, does it look okay, right? And we secure that through the features that we have in StoryKit. Mm -hmm. So apart from that, I think it's great that people are out there and telling the story of what we do and the story of the brand, the story of how they perceive it. It's a great temperature metric of how good we are internally at establishing our positioning and what we do. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and it you know, dramatically increases our reach. I, 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 we have, I haven't seen this exercise. Maybe you have done it, which is like, what's the total reach of our, of the messaging from our employees versus the total organic reach that we get from our communications account? But I would just assume it to be way, 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 way bigger, right? Because yeah. there are so many and they publish so often. So, I mean, that itself is is enormously effective, and probably then. You know, it, it would be fun to see these numbers more effectful in terms of numbers than, you know, the communication that we do centrally. So, yeah, we really see an impact actually both on our organic and sometimes even on our pay, paid ads when people from a specific market, for example, do a lot of stuff on their LinkedIn accounts. Then our yeah. ads on the same market seem to start doing even better. So, for me, it's, uh, it's, it's a know, dream Rick situation. For you, for you, because gonna, I'm no, I'm definitely no Google Ads expert. But, <laughs> but how long do you let uh, creative optimize generally on social before you take it before you disallocate budget? Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna read it. So Rick had another question, which is really interesting. Oh, you said you know within hours if an ad works. But Google says your advertisements need about two weeks to be optimal. Should I wait two weeks or cut the ad down after one day if it has no, zero conversions? Well, first of all, we're not talking about Google ads because everything that happens on the capture demand side takes a lot more time. So your Google ad or your SEO efforts or all of but those. You, will... you, you, YouTube, though. YouTube is another thing. Um, yeah. Since you're Maybe that's your what Rick to... is asking for. Because we were talking about video, uh, then I'd, I'd have to ask my uh, my uh, my paid performance uh, specialist who who knows this. But but I mean, still, you should probably not, as Peter said, uh, optimize your your campaigns after an hour, 
because <laughs> no, I mean, it, 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 there might be a slight exaggeration, and and, yeah, and also also uh, I think it will it, it's going to depend on the channel. Yeah. But the general premise of what I was trying to explain, I think, holds true. Yeah. Um, I think I'm not I'm not very good at YouTube ads. So, so but but I but if you look at Facebook or or, or LinkedIn, uh, at least what I've done historically and what I think we do still is that you put a ton of creative in the same ad set and in the same campaign, and then essentially the channel will do this work for you yes. right? so they will start optimizing towards the video or towards yeah. the creative that's performing so it's not even like an active exercise where you take things up and down it's more an exercise of throwing a ton of things in and then yeah. seeing what works by by how the network or the channel or the platform or the media allocates the budget um you youtube i i, I don't dare um no, me neither. But one thing is for sure, and that is in the ads world on Facebook and LinkedIn and those types of social platforms, quantity is also very much key to your success because the bigger brands, they could put out thousands of ads at the same time just to optimize like a word, a color, a little thing, yeah. anything. So both when it comes to formats and messaging and all of these things, it's so important to actually push out things and try and try again. But of course you need to give it some time to get the algorithm going and so forth. And so no, not after one day, I would say that is the answer. So with that, thank you very much for your questions and your participation. And thank you, Peter, for, for, ranting. Uh, for ranting once again. Love that. Uh, and I hope to see all of you again in two weeks. Um, but until then, thank you and bye-bye. Thank you.